Good evening, everyone. Shall we pray as we begin? Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. We thank you for your living word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit at work in your church. And Lord, I pray that tonight each of us would be open to you, to you working through us, to your glory, so that the world might be changed and that your kingdom might become more visible. Amen. Well, this uh, week, um, I don't necessarily recommend this to everyone, but uh, I looked at some of the Church of England's national mission statistics, uh, and it's pretty sobering reading, really. Um, you may not be aware, but uh, in the last 10 years, between 15 and 20 percent of the church's congregations nationally have vanished. Um, actually, over the last 30 years, about 40 percent uh, of uh, people have just stopped coming to church. Um, it, it becomes slightly more complicated because about 10 percent of churches have grown uh, over the last decade but 40% have definitely declined and in about half of churches, the picture isn't really clear. And of course, people give many different reasons for this. Uh, there are many different theories uh, around, but there is one simple inescapable reality about this, which is that clearly large numbers of people have stopped caring about meeting God in church even if charitably one hopes that not all of these people have lost their faith, they're clearly not going to church. Although, of course, the reality is actually uh, a lot of this is generational. Many people have died and they're simply not being replaced uh, at the same rate. Of course, being part of St Aldate's, we are largely uh, immune from recognising a lot of this because we have the joy uh, of being part of such a vibrant church. But and I know there may be some people this evening uh, who are just kind of exploring life with us or you're with us for a season during lockdown. But I have to say that for me, these figures, they really cause uh, an ache in my heart. Um, and I think that's because, you know, what do these figures mean? Well, they just mean that there are far fewer people in our country getting to know this life-changing, transformative good news of Jesus Christ. And even though there are, of course, other denominations and churches available, and there are some great vibrant places, actually among many of the historic uh, denominations, think of the Methodists or the URC, for example, um, the picture is, is incredibly bleak. Uh, well, uh, this week I also saw a comment uh, on Twitter not always the best place to look, but by an esteemed church leader who said this, we, we sang about revival earlier. He said, keep talking about revival and you are likely to end up disappointed and disillusioned. Keep talking about Jesus and you are likely to end up with revival. Our greatest need in the church is more knowledge and experience of Jesus, not hype or a better show, just Jesus. Well, I think there's a lot 
to like there. Uh, and Charlie, our former rector, I always thought was extremely helpful in terms of the concept he sometimes discussed of revival fatigue, the danger of praying after this thing for so long uh, and then coping with disappointment. Uh, and I absolutely agree that the church needs more knowledge and experience of Jesus. But what about that final sentence, just Jesus? Surely what every healthy Christian needs is a strong relationship with God, who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So, for example, today can be incredibly painful as a day for some, as we've already mentioned. But I would say that for anyone experiencing that pain to step into a greater depth of an understanding of God, the father's love as the ultimate perfect parent uh, is to receive part of God's healing in relation to those kinds of earthly wounds. Of course, we need to know the son uh, as we've just sung. We cannot shortcut our way past the cross. We need to understand the personal significance for us of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But of course, Jesus himself doesn't say to his disciples, I am all you need. He says that he will send his spirit to give them new power and that same power will then energize the life of the church. And for me, when you think about these national attendance statistics or just simply look around at our society in such desperate need of genuine hope, my sense of tragedy, actually, if I'm honest, is that there are so many Christians up and down our country who have never experienced this kind of encounter with the Holy Spirit, would not be able to talk to you uh, about the actual power at the heart of God, not just kind of up there, out there, but this power that then dwells within the heart uh, of a believer. And is it any wonder then that people can't do a particularly good job of sharing this good news? Because to be perfectly honest, they don't know this good news in their hearts. They haven't experienced something truly transformative that makes them kind of want to run down the street and tell everyone they know about it. And what Paul is doing when he writes to the Corinthian church, this church with all its chaos, all its sexual sin, all its misplaced enthusiasm, he is saying, despite all of this, step into this spiritual reality. And you might think, reading of the chaos of the Corinthian church, that the obvious advice would be step back, you know, step away from the cliff edge. You know, these spiritual gifts are clearly too hot for you to handle, you know, calm things down. And of course, through history, that's what many churches in effect have done. They've said, actually, this stuff about the Holy Spirit, it seems too strange or weird or unpredictable. Uh, it might be messy. Let's not have anything to do with it. Well, it might be hugely unpredictable, but what if that is God at work? Do you want to have missed it? And so in our passage today, looking at spiritual gifts generally, but then focusing in on the gift of tongues, Paul is encouraging his hearers to be wise to be discerning, but ultimately to be involved in this extraordinary work 
of God in their midst. He wasn't just saying, remember the wonderful things that Jesus did. He was saying, encounter the living reality of God uh, in the here and now. And how wonderful that we've already heard this evening from two people who have been testifying about how that spiritual reality is alive in their daily walk. So there are three uh, aspects to the gift of tongues, which it's worth uh, recalling. There is tongues as witnessed at Pentecost, where people speak what they believe to be a mysterious language, but it turns out actually to be someone else's uh, mother tongue uh, and miracles follow as a result of that recognition. Then secondly, there is the private prayer language, which Paul refers to uh, at the beginning of this chapter, referred to uh, in relation to anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. And as Simon was mentioning, that makes this element of tongues unique in the sense, this element of spiritual gifting rather, unique in the sense that it's something that helps us and deepens our relationship with God as a kind of personal spiritual nourishing, whereas every single other aspect of spiritual gifting is either building up the church or proclaiming and making visible the kingdom and looking uh, outwards. And in this passage from chapter 14, Paul is focused particularly on the kind of outward aspect uh, of the gift of tongues when it is used in relation to prophecy, not merely for personal edification, because someone offers a tongue uh, and then either they themselves or someone else uh, offers an interpretation. And the idea is that this mysterious language enables the person offering the tongue to be simply connecting with God at that spirit level that Chris was talking about, sharing that tongue with the gathered people of God. Sometimes they themselves will have a sense of what it's about, but sometimes uh, it's about the people of God collectively offering their interpretation. And I love the way that Chris referred to that uh, in relation to the spirit, because uh, some people can really struggle with this idea of the brain becoming disengaged or, you know, is this just some kind of strange thing that I'm working up within my own psyche? Um, but of course, Paul is quite clear on this in verse 15. He says, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. And I would agree with, with Chris's description of the gift of tongues being one where earthly things are very much brought to mind, but somehow they're brought to mind freed of the kind of processing of language at the ordinary uh, human level. And certainly if I'm facing a particularly knotty dilemma, I will find if I can give it to God in prayer through the gift of tongues, it's remarkable how suddenly something can shift or ease. And I believe that that is this glorious ability that we have to tap into this greater wisdom than our own, which is the wisdom of God uh, in our midst. There's also a sense in which this is about unlocking our relationship with God at every level, including our relationship uh, in praise. There's a, a, a monk who was around in Oxford for a while who uh, I love his uh, old school book on uh, receiving the spirit. 
and he refers to tongues often as a person's first real introduction to praise. Some of you know that <clears throat> I have a background singing glorious sacred choral music and if I'm honest uh, to begin with in my more contemporary Christian life um, I struggled with the with you know contemporary worship music but what I realized was that rather than getting kind of grumpy about you know three chords coming around again or whatever it might be actually if I was to sing in tongues I could kind of get over myself and step into the presence of God and suddenly I realized what it was truly to praise and you know I understood why my girlfriend now wife you know, raised her hands in worship, which was an abhorrent concept to me uh, initially. Anyway, um, I am segueing effortlessly into a little moment of testimony about my own experience uh, of tongues. Um, uh, I used to be a broadcast journalist, as some of you know, and um, I suppose my one professional skill was talking and trying to carry on talking lucidly, even when there was kind of chaos around me. So to be perfectly honest, uh, I basically said to God, well, I can talk for a living. I'm perfectly lucid in my prayer relationship with you, God. Thank you very much. I don't need a gift like that. Uh, and uh, we had a Lent course at the church I attended in London uh, in my 20s, and we were encouraged to try. And I went back to our flat and possibly three kind of little syllables tried to kind of emit themselves but I wasn't I wasn't particularly convinced uh, and I got very het up about well was I receiving this gift and therefore you know to what extent do I actually try um, the advice being given to us was you need to try you know this isn't some kind of strange uh, phenomenon over which you have no control so I really encourage you if you're exploring this gift to keep on trying forming these syllables and then seeing how God takes it. Anyway I was uh, I was away in China on my final work trip for the BBC before uh, I left to begin training for ordination uh, and this was a, a trip reporting on the growth of the church in China and particularly the growth of the church in settings where communists were present and uh, settings in some ways sanctioned by communist leaders. And we had some rather extraordinary access and interviews, uh, basically including communist party members who were stunned and staggered by their newfound faith. And they couldn't quite categorize this. And they knew that the Chinese uh, belief was that it had to be subjugated to uh, you know, the, the theory of communism. So it was a fascinating time. Um, looking back now, I would say actually there was a huge amount of sort of spiritual contestation uh, across that whole trip, but I didn't particularly have eyes to see it at the time. But we knew, for example, that we were being followed by the police most of the time, sometimes explicitly, often uh, plain clothes. And it was, it was quite edgy and difficult at times. And um, at the end of one particularly difficult day, which had really felt highly challenging, um, as a good future ordinant who really wasn't praying as much as I should have been, uh, I thought I will get up Church of England evening prayer on my laptop uh, in my hotel room, completely on my own, got to the intercessions. Uh, I, I would always pray these out loud myself, but I felt I should kneel. 
and I wasn't really someone who ever thought much about kneeling uh, in prayer. I, you know, had enough of all that sort of religious stuff, as it were, growing up. Uh, but I felt I should kneel. And uh, I think the best way I can describe this was as if some kind of spiritual operating system was kind of booting up in a computer and I was praying and just a great host of vowel sounds that didn't you know sound remotely like BBC received pronunciation you know were kind of tumbling out of my mouth but far more significantly I felt as though I was having this kind of depth of heart to heart connection with God in prayer of a sort that was quite unlike anything I'd previously known. And then the thing that was perhaps most significant for me um, since my days as an undergraduate, so over the last eight, nine years, um, I've been having all kinds of vocal problems, first of all singing, uh, but then particularly towards the end of my time at the BBC, some considerable voice problems. Um, and I began singing in tongues and sang with a freedom I had literally not known for years and years. It was the most miraculous, literally for me, it felt utterly miraculous. And I would say probably on sort of four or five occasions since I've known again, singing in tongues, often just kind of, you know, in a chapel on a retreat on my own or something, that kind of freedom again. And just this overwhelming sense of my goodness, this God wants to, connect with us at our places of sort of deepest sadness or need and nurture us and, you know, speak with us and encourage us. Um, and so I would say, you know, be encouraged and explore this for yourself. I would also say be aware of the danger either of doubt simply overcoming you uh, in this regard, or indeed cynicism. Um, my journey with this was, I think, probably held back for a good few years by someone at this same church who just thought it was hilarious that, um, you know, just thought tongues was a nonsense. And his running joke, whenever tongues was mentioned, you know, over coffee afterwards, he would say, oh, well, all you need to do is come up with a string of Japanese uh, brand names and then you're singing in tongues so you know just say Kawasaki Honda Toyota and then you're off and uh, and at one level that's kind of funny but at another level there was a kind of corrosive oh this isn't real kind of sense to that which I found profoundly uh, unhelpful. Of course Pentecostals with a capital P believe that tongues is a kind of proof of being filled with the spirit whereas in the kind of charismatic circles that St Aldate's would associate with, uh, we would say that tongues is a wonderful gift and many people will be blessed with it, but it is not a kind of proof text of being a spiritually alive Christian. So you shouldn't feel a kind of overbearing pressure in relation to this, but rather to see that this is one gift among many, but it's clearly one that Paul expects and sees as widespread in the Corinthian church at least, uh, and therefore it's one that we can take seriously ourselves. 
finally, uh, the chaplain I had at theological college, another former monk, uh, actually, his motto in relation to this was use it or lose it. Uh, and it was a great delight to me that, uh, that there were a whole stream of people uh, in training who kind of stumbled across it by the grace uh, of God. But I would encourage you to keep step forwarding and if stepping forward uh, and if it is a gift that um, has grown a little stale shall we say um, actually I hope that this evening might be a time for us you know to step forward in that regard. So with Paul I guess I want to say don't get overly hung up about tongues but rather, as he begins this chapter 14, do eagerly desire spiritual gifts, particularly prophecy. And we see that prophecy can be absolutely intertwined uh, with tongues. But recognising that this matters because it is one way in which your relationship with God can be transformed. Now, I've uh, at St Aldate's heard tongues uh, given for interpretation relatively unusually. It's happened once uh, within the postgrads ministry and the evening when it happened I would still say stands out as a, a moment of extraordinary spiritual depth. Uh, someone was very brave and offered a tongue, there was a beautiful interpretation uh, and then interestingly then there was a kind of spontaneous sort of raising up of uh, praying for healing and it was a an evening when you just ended saying, my goodness, surely the Lord was in this place. Um, and our hope for this evening, my hope, is that we don't just hear a nice talk about tongues or sing some nice worship, but that we actually step into this. Um, so and one of the lovely things about Zoom is that we're all muted. Um, so apart from the fact that your lips will be moving, uh, no one will know. But I would, uh, we're gonna do two things now. It's practical, workshop time. Uh, I think Jamie Thompson referred to the 6 p.m. as a bit of a spiritual boot camp. Um, and I realized I loved that, but then I thought, are we enough of a boot camp? Well, today, you know, I'm not gonna pretend to be Mr. Motivator. There is no leotard on underneath this cardigan. Um, but first of all, uh, fully silenced, we are going to uh, pray in tongues for those who have the gift, perhaps you might even want to try. Um, I don't suggest starting with the Japanese brand names, but uh, I just began, you know, you've got to say something and ask God, do you want to bless me with this gift and transport me from simply speaking in English or whatever your mother tongue is into uh, this gift? So we're going to do that first. And then we're going to have a moment where if someone feels that they actually have a tongue to share with prophetic interpretation following, either which you yourself offer that interpretation, uh, or you feel you want to offer the tongue uh, and then wait for God's people to discern, why don't we have a go? Um, what's the worst that can happen? Um, well, the worst that can happen is that we feel embarrassed or we think it's a little bit weird. The best that can happen is that we end up saying, my goodness, God is moving in our midst. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, once you've once you've seen and had moments where you've been like, oh, my goodness, that had to be God. 
then you know faith is built uh, is it not so uh let's begin with some praying in tongues and then i will uh, unmute myself again and we will um we'll move on to the next section but i just invite you pray to the father from your spirit to his and if you don't pray in tongues uh, ask for spiritual giftings in general and see how he might surprise you let's pray for a moment or two all